It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Donald Jeffries. Before I bring him on, just a couple of announcements, and I will make this as quick as possible. Forbidden Knowledge News is asking for your help. Like I've told you before, we are experiencing either some sort of censorship or strange algorithms that is drastically changing our revenue, and it's not good. But uh, either way, we are planning on filming a documentary this summer as well, and we're asking for your help with donations if possible. If you appreciate the content Forbidden Knowledge News has brought you over the past six years and you would like to leave a donation, those links are in the description. We have a buy me a coffee or PayPal option. You can just go to supportfkn.com or click the PayPal link in the description. Anybody donates $100 or more, you get a free reading from October. After you donate, email her, theancientgift222 at gmail.com. And trust me, as soon as we have this figured out, you won't hear me asking for donations anymore. Forbidden Knowledge News is now on Minds.com. Minds is awesome. It's a video and social media platform. You don't have to worry about getting banned for telling the truth. You can join by clicking that link in the description. Also, our new episodes are always available on Rockfin Odyssey and all podcast platforms, and now Rumble. If you aren't on Rockfin, go check that out. 
That's where you get our premium content. That's where you get all the premium content from every creator there on Rockfin. That's rockfin.com slash FKN plus or click the link in the description. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.news. It's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. We feature awesome podcasts there from our community. Be sure and follow us also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Today I want to welcome back to the show Donald Jeffries. He is the author of the cult classic novel The Unreals and the bestsellers Hidden History, Survival of the Richest, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, Bullyocracy and On Borrowed Fame, Money, Mysteries, and Corruption in the Entertainment World, which we will be discussing today. Donald, welcome back. How you doing? Fine. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. I'm very excited. We're going to be talking about your new book, On Borrowed Fame. Uh, the Hollywood we see today, although much different in many aspects of early days, it's it's like a completely different monster, and it seems to be crumbling before our eyes, which kind of makes me giddy in a way, uh, which we def- I definitely want to get into those aspects, but it seems from the beginning Hollywood and the concept of fame was never as it's been portrayed in Hollywood, TV or the media or news or anything like that. In reality, it's just a cesspool of corruption, lies, murder, and occult practices. So we have lots of fun stuff to discuss today. Uh, yeah. First, let's start with what brought you to write this new book. Well, I've always I have other areas of interest besides uh, conspiracies, although you know that's that's the most popular thing that I talk about. Mm-hmm. I that much more than the other stuff I write about, you know, bullying and things like that. But uh, I've always been a huge fan of. Uh, from the time I was a kid, you know, I, I loved old movies, you know, watching King Kong when I was really little and said, come on once a year as a big event, Wizard of Oz, same thing. And uh, I, I just, you know, my mind has always been full of uh, what I used to say was full of chock full of information that, that couldn't make me any money. So, you know, I, I, I knew way more about the golden age of Hollywood than anybody my age when I was a little kid. I knew lots of the actors and I knew the movies when they came out. That was you know, kind of like I memorized baseball statistics, same kind of thing. But then when I got older and Turner Classics movies came on and everything, uh, I, I really started getting into it. Then I started with IMDb. Um, I, you know, every time I watch a movie, and I pretty much watch a movie, at least one movie every day, every night. You know, that's what I do. I, I, I lull myself into a false sense of security by looking at America 1.0 and old movies. <laughs> it makes me feel relaxed. Right. So, right. Uh, yeah. So, but I always go to the IMDb after the first time I've seen any movie, modern or old. And uh, I relied on that a lot for writing on Borrowed Fame because, you know, you can find a lot of good trivia, a lot of nuggets there about, you know, and I, I, my, I would always be on the lookout for, okay, anybody that died young, what did they die of? You know, or just they, that's, you know, any unnatural causes, which are most everywhere, uh, careers that ended inexplicably, like, you know, I, I listed as a book. There's, People that were leading men and women in the early talkies. I mean, they had the number one role in big films and uh, they just dropped off the face of the earth, you know, 1937, 38, boom, they're right at the end. And it's like, what happened? You know, and I, I mentioned, I can't remember the guy's name. He's so obscure, but I, I listed him in the book. And this guy was a leading man in the early talkies and he dropped off the face of the earth. And when it, on his IMDb page, it said, it, it, uh, we don't have a date of death, you know, that, although it was only assumed that he must have died in the 1980s because he'd be you know, 130 or something, he was alive. But, I mean, how do you get that obscure? 
where nobody can even find out what happened to you. So those are the kind of things that fascinate me more about the films, other than admiring, you know, admiring Frank and Alfred Hitchcock and people like that, that I, I love watching their movies over and over again, or, you know, something like King Kong, you know, just incredible technical achievement at an early age. There's just something about the quality of the early talkies, especially it's a different world. And uh, I never get tired of watching. I, I think the, the women were the hottest in those days. Yeah. <laughs> I just I love the way they look. They're all, you know, long well, you didn't have to worry about them being men. That's the first no, thing, right? That's right. I mean, it, you know, obviously, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, I guess, a whole different kind of perversion if you're sitting yeah. there and, you know, kind of looking at, you know, these women that have been dead for 50 years. Like, what are you looking at? But it's, it's just, uh, yeah. the, the entire product was great. The production values, the scripts, as a writer, I admire the script. So, I really, I, so that all that aspect went in the book, you know, a lot, lots of admiration for it, but again, lots of exposés in this book about how there's always corruption there and the, the organized crime and mm-hmm. all the unnatural deaths. You know, Hollywood has as big a body count, bigger body count than the Clintons ever thought of having. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing that's attracted me to it too, that see, there's an overlap between the worlds of entertainment and politics. Where, uh, entertainment is the only other industry you see where you see these kinds of uh, natural deaths everywhere, the mass suicides and murders and deaths where they don't list a cause. You only see that in politics and there's no other industry in the world. So it's obviously it's going to, you know, attract someone like me that writes about these things. Right on. Now uh, let's start with the good old days of Hollywood. Like you were just mentioning, do you think that it was ever about, you know, solely about providing entertainment to the people? Uh, I mean, we can both agree that the quality and everything Mm -hmm. else was better, but was it ever just about that? Uh, I think maybe it was for some people, but certainly for the, you know, back in when Hollywood was at its best, it was unfortunately the worst for most of the performers because studio system, which was, you know, uh, it was like a nine to five job and, and they paid very, very well. And uh, they got lots of the great perks, you know, becoming stars. They had an easy life, especially compared to most people back then. But um, the, the system controlled things and there was lots of censorship. Obviously, they didn't go anywhere. And I, in my book, Crimes and Cover Up American Politics, 70, 76, 1963, I remarked on how it still amazes me that during the golden age of Hollywood, they never made a single film about George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. I mean, they had biopics on, you know, British prime ministers and, and old royalty. Nothing about the, the founding fathers ever. They, they made almost no movie at all even touching on the American Revolution, which is exceedingly strange. But again, they were, they were not going there for a reason even then. They didn't want to remind the people of, you know, <laughs> how this country was born in case they get those same kind of ideas again. Right. So, uh, you know, so it's, they controlled the product. And a lot of times I'll look and I think, you know, why did they, you know, some of the scripts, you just scratch your head and say, why did they make a movie about that? I'd like to think they could have had more interesting trips. But even saying all that, you watch any movie from the early talkies, you know, from 1930-ish on through uh, well into the 50s for the most part, almost every one of them are going to be uh, entertaining enough to hold your attention. Most of them. I mean, so like for somebody like me, I don't like the costume dramas, and I need all war movies. So, you know, throw those out for me personally. But any other one, you know, any any uh, drama or suspense, especially, they they wrote it well enough so that it kept your attention, and you wondered what happened. The acting was always good, even in the B movies. 
You didn't have the stuff you have today, which I complain about the whispering dialogue. So you can't hear what the actors are saying, which is ridiculous. And I think, I think I'm the only one talking about it. But if you go back in those days, you hear everything that you know Joan Crawford and Clark Gable and people like that are saying. They may be whispering, but you're hearing everything you're saying. And uh, the lighting was great. The cinematography, you watch an Alfred Hitchcock movie or something, the cinematography is incredible. And uh, so that's the kind of thing that I, I think that even in the studio system, you manage to get this really incredible product. So, and it's ironic that once you got rid of the studio system, the product went downhill, except for, you know, um, so I think that, you know, that, that kind of, whatever reason, the studio system, I think, made for a better product. Yeah, you mentioned the the propaganda that was emerging in early Hollywood. Would you say safe uh, say it's safe to say that around World War II is when it really kind of really started ramping up with major propaganda on both sides, of course, but both sides were being played, right? Right. Well, I mean, in in, in Hollywood, there really was only the pro war side, and 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 uh, again, all all the, every studio except for uh, Disney and uh, 20th Century Fox with uh, Daryl Zanuck. All the other studios were run by immigrant Jews. And so they clearly, you know, they, they recognized Hitler way before anyone else did. So you had the three studios, Bugs Bunny, Tarzan, all of these people were, uh, you know, talking about Hitler and the Nazis way before we got involved in the war. Uh, you had Bugs Bunny, you know, going on straight and saying, buy bonds. You had a buy bonds thing at the end of a lot of early 1940-ish type of movies. So it was you know, really the propaganda was they were hitting you over the head with it. I mean, they even today with all the propaganda we have, they don't they don't quite go that far where they put something on screen, you know, or you know, give to the Red Cross or something. You know, yeah. it's re- it was really overt, and uh, yeah, they, so you couldn't. There's never been an honest movie about uh, you know All Quiet on the Western Front was a good uh, examination of war at World War One. Uh, and it's amazing it got made the way it did, but World War II, not, nothing. It's like you would, they don't question the Civil War either. Those are the two good wars. Well, nobody ever questions propaganda, thick and heavy. And then after World War II, the studios began being, the writers especially, you know, and, and actors were so involved in all these front groups. And it's ironic because it was the right back then that was accusing Russia under the Soviet Union of, you know, infiltrating Hollywood and the Russian propaganda, <laughs> yeah. Soviet propaganda. And uh, there was a lot of that. And of course, it led to the uh, the 1950s, which uh, outside of an American Activities Committee and a lot of these Hollywood actors went. And some were lo- you know, so-called loyal. Some testified against the others and said, yeah, they probably are Reds or commies or whatever. But uh, for the most part, Hollywood even then was, uh, you know, just infested with far leftists. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of those guys... Bogart tapes and answer crazy. If they were alive today, they probably would be, you'd see them on the on the Academy Awards and uh, you know, with their outing off the woke stuff. That's they were already already into that world. Right. Now, uh would when do you think the the mob became really heavily involved with all the dealings in Hollywood? Well, I think, you know, in the early days, because uh the mob really went to power and maybe the pinnacle of their power was like the 1930s and forties. And, uh, you know, I described in the book, they ran, uh, you know, they had, uh, you had a guy like Eddie Manix, who was a, who was a genuine thug that was second in command to Luigi Mayer. I mean, he wasn't a, you know, a certified good fellow, but clearly he had those connections and he acted like one. And, uh, so, you know, one of the unnatural deaths I talked about in the book was, uh, George Superman Reeves, 
Superman in the you know, 1950s show. And, uh, you know, they claim he killed himself. But all you have to know about what really happened to him is the fact that he was having an affair with Eddie Mannix, his wife at the time. He was the number one thug in the studios. Uh, so I, I, to me, be my main suspect is what happened. You know, you're, you're screwing my wife. Okay. But uh, so you had people like that. And I, I describe in the book how uh, there was always a presence behind the scenes. And so, uh, and Hollywood did its part in glamorizing the mafia. I mean, the mob then, you know, look at people like uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson and James Cagney, people like that, that became, you had the mobster film, the gangster film. And, uh, you know, it's no uh, accident that today's gangs, the Bloods and the Crips and things like that, they worship the movie Scarface that was later made in like 1982. And uh, they love Al Capone and all those original gangsters. They pattern their behavior after them. And Hollywood never, you know, they claimed it, but they never really, they glamorized them. People that saw those gangster movies, they thought Jimmy Cagney and Edward D. Robinson were cool. They didn't think oh, yeah. they were evil killers. And, and so that, you know, that's one of the mistakes Hollywood made in, down to this day, you know, when they try to pose bullying, it's, they don't really do it. So people, you know, end up thinking the bullies are cool. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, the mob had a huge influence there. They were involved with money and the backing things. And uh, a lot of the stars, you know, were, were friends later with uh, like, uh, you know, Bugsy Teagle, when he invented Lot, created uh, Las Vegas. I mean, a lot of those guys and a lot of the stars too. I mentioned crushed me to find out uh, my, all-time favorites, Donna Reed, you know, the, the ultimate lovely virginal type beauty on screen, just gorgeous. She was, uh, you know, she was screwing around with Johnny Rosselli. This obnoxious monster was probably connected in a peripheral way to the JFK assassin. So, yeah, the, the connections were everywhere in Hollywood. Right. Now, um, one of my producer, Corey Hughes, he's, he's really into the researching JFK assassination. Yes, he was he's on my a, show once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he's gotten to uh, the links with Jack Valente and the JFK assassination. Yes, Have you yes, come yeah. with any connections there? Well, I don't think I take it to the extent he does. I think he thinks Valente was a shooter. <laughs> right, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, but Valente... Uh, yeah, Valente certainly had some curious connections. You know, there are people that believe Valente uh, took uh, basically that that LBJ uh, got his secretary president Frank pregnant, and that he uh, basically made Valente marry her and act like he was the father of the child. I don't know if that's true or not. And Valente uh, certainly was uh, did his part to keep the truth about the JFK assassination buried for a long time and he also was right he, he, he was a perfect uh, example of those worlds uh, meeting he was a political hack you know for for lbj and then he suddenly gets named as the head of the motion picture arts design so he's the one who invented the uh, came up with a rating system and all that so yeah he's a he had his fingers in a lot of pies back then and uh it, it certainly uh he's not my favorite person either Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, I want to get into the mysterious deaths from the earliest times in Hollywood. Uh, you, you write uh, very much about those. Let's kind of break just a few of those down on an individual basis. Uh, some of the most profound, maybe like John Lennon, Elvis, and Marilyn. Let's start with those. Uh, what are some aspects that we might not know about those? Well, John Lennon certainly uh, most probably the most political rock and roll figure maybe yeah. in the history of the music uh the only one i know of where they still have fbi files that are classified you know on it tons of files on it he would spy it on his phone was tapped 
But uh, I, the most important thing I found out about that, and thanks to my friend Bob Wilton, a researcher who helps me out a lot, he, uh, he's the one that pointed me in the direction of Jose Perdomo, who uh, he was the doorman at the Dakota <clears throat> where Lennon lived, Dakota apartment building. And uh, now, can you say that name again? You were breaking up when you said Jose what? Jose Jose Perdomo. Okay. And and if you look him up, he had connections to uh, the anti Castro Cubans, the same group that was uh, you know around Lee Harvey Oswald, and uh, he was right in that group. And uh, he was a big chat in pre Castro Cuba. He was like a top police official. What is this guy doing? Showing up, you know, decades later as a doorman, a lowly doorman at the Dakota building where John Lennon lives. And uh, so I find that varies a lot of things. And I, I go over some of the ballistics in that. And there's, there's lots of reasons to doubt. Uh, for instance, when I had Phil Strongman on my uh, radio show, and he wrote uh, one of the, probably the best book on the Lennon assassination a couple of years ago. And uh, he's the one that discovered that, you know, this myth of Mark David Chapman being a huge John Lennon, a deranged John Lennon fan, Kind of strange because uh, he found that uh, Mark David Chapman, until he got that, which he you know, didn't need to keep since he was carted off the jail, but until he got his copy of Double Fantasy, you know, Lennon's new album, the you know, famous last picture, Lennon signing the cover for him, and uh, before he kills him a few hours later. But uh, there, uh, apparently, Strongman found out that uh, Chapman had never bought a Lennon record before so he had no Beatles or Lennon's records at all so that's that's strange behavior for a, a, a you know a deranged fan typically right. they would have everything associated with their idol no nothing like that so I think and he's got a very curious background Mark David Chapman has uh, had connections to world and international very strange alleged Christian group who uh whose president at one time same time he was there was John Hinckley's father so yeah, so you know, so there's these connections are everywhere. So certainly, I think in the Lennon case, uh, there's and Lennon's uh, son Sean, I think, is you know, big, you know, he thinks the government. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, he was very political, like you said, and I'm sure there was plenty of reasons, to, you know, to have him assassinated. What do you think? Because the reasons we that that were shown in in the forefront is never really the real reason for anything <clears throat> that happens. So why would no. you think they would have gone after him? Well, you know, sometimes it, I, I talk a lot about Randy Quaid in the in the book and the Star Whackers theory. I think some of the times they just they just they're Star Whackers and whack these guys and they uh, they want to make a statement. In the case of Lennon, I think he could have been looked at. Well, he'd be, he'd make a great martyr, mm. you know. And they love martyring people, and certainly uh, <clears throat> Lennon's record sales spiked, you know, after that when he was killed. And that happens almost every time. You know, Elvis Presley was probably the first one where it was, you know, he, that was a great career move by dying. You know, that these guys, they, their records really go through the roof when they die. It's Hell yeah. Musicians especially, not so much actors, but re- musicians really do. People want to mm-hmm. hear them when they're dead for some reason. Oh, he was much greater than I remembered. You know, so it could be something as simple as that, or it could just be that uh, Lennon was uh, was a loud voice, anti-war, and, you know, Reagan was coming into office. The country was changing to... You know, they, maybe they just didn't want to deal with that. I, I would love to think what would have happened to Lennon you know, and MTV age that was around the corner and video and all that. What would he have done? I, I don't know. But he, uh, he was always my favorite Beatles. So I have a, you know, very a personal interest in, you know, investigating. 
Now, we look at things like Elvis Presley that was supposedly uh, either, you know, natural or because of drugs or whatever they tell us. Um, Right. But, you know, like I said, there's always – and it seems like you're you're a big Hollywood celebrity. You have this beautiful life and you do drugs all the time. It seems like you know how to safely do drugs and all these – I don't know. It just seems odd at times the way that these celebrities die. Uh, What are your thoughts on Elvis? Yeah, no, I think, and I, I'm indebted to Steve Ubaney, who uh, wrote the book Who Murdered Elvis. He's done some great research. And I, unfortunately, I didn't read the book before I completed Arm Part of Game. So I missed out on the fact that Steve discovered, he talked to Sonny West, who was a member of the, uh, you know, of Elvis's little mafia group, you know, that his, his closest aides around it. He talked to all those people, and Sonny West told him that Elvis, uh, much like Freddie Prinze, the comedian that, you know, I knew about from working back with, working with Mark Lane as a teenage volunteer back in the late 70s, was obsessed with him. Elvis was obsessed, too. Sonny West told Steve that he had a copy of the Superior film that he watched all the time. Really? I had no idea. I had no idea of that. Uh, I don't even have to go much farther than that. I think yeah. that explains what happened. And, uh, you know, it, it's happened before. And also... Uh, Forgetting her name, but I have big quotes from her in the book. She unfortunately died a few years ago. Suzanne, something she was a lead actress in one of Elvis's movies. I think it was Paradise Hawaiian style. But I, I have it in the book. I have described it. Have all her information and I have long quotes from her from a magazine article she wrote where she ended up being for some reason she went from Hollywood star to tour guide at Graceland. You know, another <laughs> kind yeah. of strange dip. But she uh, was obsessed with Elvis. You know, loved him and. She was one of the first ones to really push that Elvis had been murdered. And she exposed in her book, and I quote from that, a lot of the anomalies with the crime scene. Uh, looks like there was a lot of staging in terms of dermic needles. Steve Ubaney tries to claim the, the drug thing with Alex, uh, with uh, Elvis was very much exaggerated. It wasn't, you know, the drug addict. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, so I think there's there's a lot of reason there to, of course, Elvis, again, the, the industry, career move, as I said, you know, he's, he took off. He suddenly had, you know, a whole new industry was created in Elvis impersonators. So, you know, it had the whole is Elvis alive and Elvis is Elvis sightings and stuff. It became a joke and the conspiracy. Well, oh, I guess you think Elvis is alive too. You know, that's where they usually go to that. But uh, so, you know, someone wanted to create a martyr. He was, uh, you know, an incredible one. That's interesting. Now, based on what you just mentioned, do you think that there have been celebrities that might have faked their death, you know, just to get out of the the scene and out of Hollywood? Well, I think there's a lot of people that think that. I mean, you know, Jim Morrison dying at 27 of a heart attack in a bathtub. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody really see you seem to see what happened. There's a lot of I, I'm not that interested in because I think he's a tough guy. But uh, and, and his father was an admiral who just happened right. to be uh, in, in charge of the Gulf of Tonkin. By the yeah. way, <laughs> one of the strange connections. Yeah. But uh, so he's not my favorite person. But uh, he was messed up. But he was very theatrical. You know, he was an acting guy. That he wasn't really a singer or a musician at all. He's an actor that wrote lyrics. One quote. But he, uh, you know, dying at age twenty-seven. You know, that gets my interest right. You know, so it, and a lot of people think he faked his death. His girlfriend died mysteriously not that long after that. And that kind of thing. You have these peripheral deaths with you. Well, but uh, so I think that uh, another member of the 27 Club, I think that he's a possibility. Certainly Andy Kaufman, the comedian later, uh, he was known just for staging things and, uh, you know, with his big wrestling match with, uh, you know, at, uh, Jerry Lawler on David Letterman, those places like that. That kind of thing, wearing a neck brace. I mean, this guy, everything he did was theatrical. Mm-hmm. 
everybody, when he died, and you know, he, he was a non-smoker and supposedly died of lung cancer at a young age. Very strange. Yeah. Uh, so, but at this point, if they fake their death, it, it's been a long time. It's been, you know, probably 30 years or so. Uh, at what point then do you emerge? I mean, you just stay fake. I mean, I, what's the point then? I, I don't right. know. Are you what, what have it? So that's what I find. A lot of people think Tupac Shakur isn't really dead, but a lot of that is like a newer uh, generation treating him like Elvis. You know, they don't want to admit he's dead. So he's so great. So I don't know, man. It's, it's hard. None of these people have ever, you know, been proven to have faked their death, but, you know, you're in the QAnon thing, you know, there's still lots of people that, that won't accept these things, but I, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't discount anything, but I, I, I'm not sure that that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, let's look at uh, Marilyn Monroe a little bit. I mean, you know, she her obvious involvement with JFK and, and many other things politically. Uh, what do you think went on with this? Well, I mean, I, you know, certainly, and I, I got into Marilyn Monroe's case uh, even before I got deep into the JFK assassination. I read a book by Robert Slatzer, who later was discredited, but he raised a lot of the points. Uh the death scene was you know, certainly everything about her death was very suspicious. Uh, you know, the, the housekeeper, Eunice Murray, should have been uh, grilled. Uh, she was right there. She did lots of strange things. She took, she didn't call the police for hours. She called uh, Maryland's publicist and psychologist first. In no sense, they broke a window to get in the room, corrupted the crime scene. Uh, Marilyn Monroe was not, you know, she had just had a conversation earlier with Joe DiMaggio Jr., uh, lots of stuff I go into in the book about it. Eunice Murray was was found by the police uh, washing clothes at four in the morning. I mean, just, you know, it's crazy stuff like that. And then she left for an extended trip to Europe shortly after that. I don't know if she was ever sufficiently questioned, but she couldn't have been allowed to go to Europe. Really, in reality, she could have been considered a suspect because she was there. And uh, she, you know, her behavior was uh, bizarre. But, uh, you know, there were rumors at the time that Marilyn Monroe's house was by the, the FBI or the mafia or somebody. And um, yeah, I talk in the book, and again, thanks to Bob Wilson for, for uh, alerting me to this, but uh, Veronica Hamill, who's a perfect example of one of these stars that helped the 15 minutes of fame. I mean, sure, I don't know if you recognize her name, probably almost no one does now, but she was a big star in the 80s, star of Hill Street Blues, which is pretty oh. much a forgotten TV show. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, she was a briefly you know a big star but that's what happens and that's what this book examines these people that were really big for a while and then boom and nobody nobody remembers them fame has a short shelf life but anyhow she was big enough and rich enough to buy marilyn monroe's house the house she died in 80 so she lived in marilyn monroe's house and while they were renovating it they discovered government grade top grade uh surveillance equipment in the walls and ceiling mm. so somebody powerful you know, was doing that and they were, they were able to inside the wall. So I guess Marilyn didn't even know. So what is that? That tells you that somebody was concerned about her and, uh, <clears throat> you know, to that extent. And then uh, certainly they covered up her death. And that's uh, one of the, that's the, really the first instance where Thomas Noguchi, who is still alive at like 96 years old or something. Right. But, uh, he would later be the coroner for Robert F. Kennedy and uh, uh, Natalie Wood and lots of other people. <clears throat> and, um, he uh, first got into trouble with the powers that be because of his autopsy that uh, that uh, did not indicate <clears throat> that she killed herself, that indicated it must have been foul play. There's no question. And, and I don't, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people think that oh, they blame the Kennedys. Now, I, I, I personally believe Marilyn Monroe's murder was a warning to the Kennedys. 
and uh, they obviously didn't need that warning. But I, there's no question uh, that she was murdered. A lot of strange circumstances. Right. Now, before we move on to some of the older, uh, some of the newer cases of Hollywood deaths that I want to get your insights on, uh, Natalie Wood was very interesting as well. That's one we still hear, you know, arguments over today. What are your thoughts on this one and the players involved? Well, you know, I have, <clears throat> I've had Lana Wood, who is uh, Natalie's sister, was also an actress. I uh, know her. <clears throat> She's been on my show twice. And uh, she had, now has a book out that uh, talks about Natalie's death. And she's, unlike most of the family members in these cases and, and the political ones as well, most of the families, uh, you can't get a hold of them. And they won't talk about it. But she's been very courageous and she's the only one doing it. Uh, Natalie, as she told me, that Natalie was the quintessential movie star. And you know, some of these people, like Loretta Young was that way. Lots of these, uh, Joan Crawford, they didn't, when they left the house for anything, like she said, Natalie wouldn't have gone out to get the mail without her full makeup on and, you know, you know, dress nicely, just in the case anybody saw her. She wanted to be seen like the movie star she was. So she said, there's, when I heard, you know, when I found that she, you know, was found in the water with no makeup on, nightgown, negligee, she said, there's, first of all, she was terrified of the water. And secondly, she said, Natalie would have never gone, because that would have occurred to Natalie. Something happens to me, I want to be found, you know. <laughs> like a movie star and uh, that's just the way she thought and so that was her you know first red flag and not to mention all the you know the, the information that's come out you know that there was an argument on board the ship and, and just the fact that she was terrified of water she wouldn't have gone out at night like that and uh, Robert Wagner has been named a person of interest and I talked about Christopher Walken who was the third person on that ship and for whatever reason and even Lana won't go there I mean I find the guy creepy plays creepy characters so I can I can believe he was involved in some, but for some reason nobody mentions him. It's all Robert Wagner, and I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that she didn't die the way they say it. It's something happened there, and, and one or both of them caused uh, her death. There's no question about it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, have you done? Any research or looked at any more modern deaths, maybe say the past uh, 10 to 20 years uh, that might have been a little strange and, and not quite what we've been told? Well, as you know, in the book, I have a pretty long section on Brittany Murphy. who I think, my, uh, my girlfriend <laughs> was, was waiting for this part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she, absolutely. She's uh, and, you know, a lot of the times my interest is drawn. I just found her just lovely. I mean, it was very attractive. There was such a cutie. And uh, I remember before she died, when I saw her husband, I thought Simon Monjak, I said, I, I knew something had to be wrong with her. She had troubles because what could possibly attract a gorgeous young movie star like that to this? And it's not like he was a billionaire or anything. He didn't have, he was probably sponging off her. So I don't know what the attraction was there. So she clearly had some issues. And, as I point out in the book, she was on, I mean, she was, I think, 30 to one or three. She was very young when she died, but, uh, and very thin. So, she, But she had all these alleged medical conditions, and she was like a walking encyclopedia for big pharma. She was on tons of prescriptions. I don't know how any, you know, somebody looking like her could possibly have had all these physical problems. I think they were obviously mental and emotional. But so that could have played a part. But uh, <clears throat> she has a connection to this Julia Davis, and I, to get a hold of her. I, don't, I still don't really understand clearly the connection, but Julia Davis is a whistleblower who uh, was uh, talking about Homeland Security and criticizing them about letting alleged terrorists in the country or something. And somehow, and I, 
I don't really even understand it clearly. Somehow Brittany Murphy was going to be a character witness for her or something. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, uh, you know, take that. I don't, she doesn't appear to have any political love, but right. that's an odd connection. And of course, she never got to testify to that. But her death is exceedingly strange. And uh, the first, uh, I think, my first, you know, thought would be that this guy, husband, had something to do with it. But then he dies the exact same way, like a month or two later. So it's like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And and uh, Brittany's again, like Natalie Woods, Brittany's father, very courageously fought for a long time, many years. He just died a couple of years ago in his nineties, but. Uh, I think his son is kind of fighting now. I may try to contact him. He, uh, he was very sure. He talked about all the shortcomings of the investigations. You know, again, irregular procedures, but you find that all the time in these cases. Same thing with political cases. Don't do what they're supposed to do. Why? What are the questions? I mean, on the surface, Brittany Murphy just looks like a, you know, a, a very cute but troubled person in Hollywood that happens all the time. We know that they have the, uh, you know, the lure out there and they the drugs and stuff, but hers mainly seem to be prescription drugs. Um, she, having that connection to the whistleblower, again, time on security, I think that's significant. And uh, I would look there personally, but I can't get a hold of that Julia David. She's still around, I think. But uh, but I, I, I found that case really intriguing. I'd like to know more about it, but you know, her, her mother is still alive and she's kind of a dubious figure too, but I'm sure she's not. Interesting. Uh, now, do you plan on um, maybe doing a little bit digging into a little more digging into that in the future? Yeah, I'd like to. I still put out feeler to that Julia Davis. It's hard to find her contact. I, that's what I need to do. I need to ask a couple of my researchers. I have like three people that do. I mentioned Bob Wilson, Chris Graves, and Peter Seacosh did the other. Peter Seacosh did the cover. Nice. Very talented artist. There's a lot of comics and graphic stuff. And uh, these guys, they donate. They just they just do this on their own. They started doing it. I, I can't pay them or anything, but they do a lot of work. And so I need to, they've hooked me up, especially uh, Chris, for contact info. People. So I need to ask him, they go after Julia Davis. Or maybe, I don't think Brittany Murphy's mom would talk to me. She's, but maybe she would, because I, I don't think she was a person. Her husband, but... Uh, It'd be, that'd be interesting to, you're right. I'm, I'm not going to, I look at this because I kind of turned and now I'm working on Hidden History 3, so I'm back in the political thing. So I have kind of yeah. not talking to these uh, these older celebrities or whoever I can get a hold of at this moment. But yeah, that, that, that uh, 
worth uh, looking into. That's fascinating. Um, before we move away from uh, celebrity deaths, you mentioned earlier the, the, the rock stars, uh, sometimes very strange uh, causes of death. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love and that whole situation. <laughs> Well, I touched on it in the book. I don't, and uh, Chris Graves, he's, he's, he's always sending me, he know he's, he's sending me Kurt Cobain stuff. He wants me to put something about it, I think, in Onboard, I mean, uh, Industry 3. But uh, he knows that upside down. I may have, uh, he's got somebody he knows. I may have somebody on my show about that, uh, you know, one of my shows, uh, the upcoming near future. But, uh, it certainly looks like uh, there was a guy, and I, I mentioned it in the book, I can't remember the guy. You know, weird kind of rapper's name. And again, I don't know. I know a lot about music, but that period, I really don't know much about the grunge music scene or Nirvana. So I, I don't, I'm not an expert on it, but I do know his death was very suspicious. And Courtney Love is a suspicious, suspicious figure. And this guy uh, publicly said that Courtney Love hired him, to, that wanted to hire him to kill Kurt Cobain. And then he ended up like being run over by a train or something, some bizarre death. You know, typical Hollywood mobster political thing. So take that for what it is. I have the story, and I, I apologize to people. I covered so many of these things. I don't necessarily remember their names or the details. In Oddbard fame, <clears throat> you can read uh, exactly what I'm talking about there. But yeah, it, it bears a further looking into. But again, a lot of times, like I said, the reason why Brittany Murphy attracted me because I just thought she was so attractive. And I, why, why did this beautiful girl? Uh, Kurt Cobain doesn't interest me as much. So, I, you know, it's, it's not like it's Lennon or somebody like that. So uh, but right. a lot of times I have to be interested to really or push a lot to something. Like that. But I, yeah, I, I think there's very little question. Right. Yeah. And I want to get into CIA uh, relationships with Hollywood. You know, I'm sure since the onset of the, the CIA, there was high involvement. And, uh, you know, we're seeing major ties now, uh, of course, with the, you know, everything with prop from propaganda to consulting with actors to actors consulting right. and producers consulting with CIA. It's a uh, it's a it's a tight relationship we see there, which also, you know, if you if you follow any history of the CIA that doesn't uh, that doesn't seem very good or like a, a very um, good idea to be in a relationship with them but what are some of the um, the ties that you've looked into and the earliest relationships well I have a whole section in the book where I talk about the connections uh, the way Hollywood and the military I mean the, the CIA and the military both <clears throat> the Pentagon uh, they have script approval for like, you know, that show 21, which was basically an advertisement for the CIA. Uh, you know, they had scripts over that. And uh, Ben Affleck, he made the movie Argo, which was a love letter to the CIA. And of course, it won the Academy Award. And, and, and guess who passed out the award for it? Michelle Obama, live from the White House, you know, further blurring the line between politics and entertainment. Really? <laughs> when she was going to announce the winner, did anyone have any doubt what the winning movie was going to be? <laughs> a love letter to the CIA? But uh, and uh, so we know Ben Affleck has come out recently and said the CIA basically has admitted he works for the CIA and it said the Hollywood is full of CIA agents. So I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, there, you know, the it's just an extension of Mockingbird Media Operation Mockingbird, which we know they place their assets and they said the media, but most people concentrated on the news media, you know, for all the assets that were in, in uh, television and. Uh, uh, print media back then when it was powerful but a lot of they didn't for some reason uh, they didn't look as, as, as closely at the uh, 
at Hollywood, you know, in the entertainment industry. Clearly, they're there, and the Pentagon has uh, this works the same way. They have script approval. Any war movie today, any movie about the military that gets made, they have to have script approval, or they won't let you use their tanks and their, you know the equipment and make it look realistic. You won't have uh, access to the best locales and all that. So uh, it's, uh, it's certainly you're not going to see any real anti-war movie made, and you're, you're very unlikely to ever see anything uh, that points to the CIA being the kind of uh, you know murder incorporated that they've right. been for a long time. Now, uh, when you look at the the celebrities that are born into the industry, it seems like a much different world than those that, you know, go seeking it after, you know, they're already grown up and have experience. Those that are born into it uh, seem to have, uh, not all of them, but many seem to have, are being suggested to, you know, uh, generational abuse and trauma and, you know, I don't want to slightly. MK Ultra, all these um, terrible things to kind of groom them to be this perfect uh, Hollywood actor or actress, and then we see their programming start to break down a little later, and then they go nutso. Uh, what are your thoughts on that stuff? Yeah, well, uh, certainly it's got to be uh, other than like the son of an athlete. Like I can't imagine what Mickey Mantle Jr. You know, Mantle Jr. You know, but if you're somebody like uh, you know. Fred Astaire Jr. So I don't think he had, but I mean something like that. If you're if you're a huge star's uh, son or daughter, especially then yeah, it's I mean we see a lot of nepotism. A lot of these people make it, but <clears throat> a lot more don't, and uh, it touches a little bit on the child side as well. You know, they're the ones that have all the uh, the problems later in life. And my friend, one of the people I've made I've made friends with uh, <clears throat> several people in the entertainment industry by writing this book. And one of the guys who I know now is Paul Peterson, uh, uh, Jeff the son on the Donna Reed show. And then later he formed the group of minor consideration. So he does great work working with these child stars because so many of them have had trouble because they don't, their, their, their parents kept their money and they're not paid that well. And they reach a certain age and they're not cute anymore. And a lot of them are really cute as kids and they just grow into awkward looking adults. And yeah, they, they, there's no roles for them, right. you know, and, and they don't have the, you know, a lot of them recently, they'd be really, the, in, the inspiration for this book with Spanky McFarlane, who is, uh, I still think, the greatest child actor of all time at a very young age. I mean, Spanky was, was uh, you know, was uh, mesmerizing. He was a Jack Nicholson of the screen from the age of about two to maybe five or six. After that, he just, he, he was, you know, he was awkward and he wasn't funny anymore. But at that young age, he was incredible. So, and I, his name Spanky and our gang is used, it was used by a rock group in the 60s, had several hits that he got nothing for. And uh, <clears throat> I probably first started thinking this book when, when my wife and I were living in a townhouse and we first got married, there was a, a, a restaurant that right around the corner from us that we walked to called Spanky's Clubhouse. And uh, it was, uh, you know, I have an obvious uh, depiction of him on the, uh, on the marquee out front and uh I just thought, wow, I wonder, you know, and then I saw him on a, a, a talk show and he was like, uh, I could tell he was bitter and he kind of touched on that. And I thought, wow, I, bet, I just thought that's got to be terrible that because it, it, as it turned out, he was suing another Spanky's restaurant at the time. of uh, Again, my friend Bob Wilson, he, he used to go when he lived in Florida to a restaurant uh, based on, I think they actually gave him a one-time fee of $5,000 or something, which is the only money he that I know he ever made off his life. 
And um, so I can understand. And so I, I thought, you know, they might be a book there, you know, because I think this probably happened to a lot of people. So that's when I began communicating. And this was you know, probably 2008, 9, 10, something like that. That's when I first started thinking of this book. And I started emailing a lot of these people and some clients since then. But um, they, uh, you know, they all were telling basically the same. Most of them said the same story, especially the rock, the people in the rock band, what royalty? You know, they're almost all of them. And the people in the TV shows, yeah, we only get paid for the first few residuals, you know, three to six, whatever reruns. But, you know, people like the Brady Bunch. I mean, you know, I, my, my buddy now is Susan Olsen, you know, played Cindy on the Brady Bunch. She's real. She's been on my show several times, but her chief's. She's really great politically too. You know, she's really open-minded and I see why she said, you know, you know, no one's ever going to hire you in Hollywood again with your police. You know that, right? Yeah. She knows that. But she's really cool. And, but, you know, she was one of the many to tell me, yeah, you know, she, she didn't get anything from the Brady Bunch, even though the Brady Bunch is still shown today, along with Leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith, all those shows, they're shown all over the world, you know, uh, and, 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 nonstop pretty much pretty much almost any time of day that it's probably playing somewhere in the world so if they were just getting what they should be getting a little bit of residuals for each one then they would be wealthy they don't get anything because the contracts they signed were only for the first few reruns and later they they made it uh better for those performers but 1974 like that the people that you know all the shows i loved you know were before that and uh they don't get anything so it's uh it's got to be, you know, a bittersweet thing. But I, I tabled that project for about 10 years, or not 10 years, but close to that. And uh, then I, I wrote other books and uh, I said, well, you know, that might, maybe I'll make it into something expanded. So it's because it really, I, I didn't think I was going to get enough information because a, a lot of these people that were bitter about it were, were writing their own books. And so they didn't want to give me too much information. I understood that. And so uh, I said, well, I'm going to include what I have. And what? And I started communicating with the entertainers again, and I got some more info. And I talked to several of them on the phone. It's been added to the chapter of communicating with the old entertainers, older entertainers. And uh, but I, that's when I started saying, let's expand this. Let's look at all the unnatural deaths, the ones we talked about. Hollywood's um, full of them. The body. And I said, let's look at the nature of fame itself. You know, we'll, we'll expand the financial thing. So that's why you see I have tons of figures in there. That why is why is this entertainer worth this much according to celebrity net worth? Uh, why are its other ones worth this much? Why the ones I could find, you know, why did, why did Hedy Lamar, you know, beautiful actress, big movie star. Why did she buy, die broke? She wasn't trouble. She was a, uh, she was a Mensa person. She was brilliant and inventor. Why did she die broke? Why did Betty Davis leave a small for very small net worth? But on the other hand, why did step and touch it? You know, the, the poster child, for racial discrimination in Hollywood. He's a caricature. Uh, he died with $10 million. How? He was never even a big star. So those, are the, I, I think that hopefully readers will enjoy that part of the book. That's the sub theme of this. How did this happen? How did some people that were really famous not end up with much? And how did somebody like a step infected? who was a kind of, a, we feel sorry for him and he was never a big star. How did he get $10 million? Somebody like Lulu, you know, you're too young to remember, but Lulu, you know, in 1967 had a one-hit wonder to serve with love, which is a big Hollywood movie. The only thing she ever did that I know of, she has $30 million today. How? how? You know, you know, right. I don't understand. 
Jackson Brown, one of my favorites. I think he has $12 million. He wrote all his own songs. So how does he have like barely one third of what Lulu has? So that's, I think that's, hopefully that will interest people. Well, it, it seems little- to be a club within a club that if you're not, you know, playing ball a certain way, you're not going to be compensated, right? Well, in some ways, certainly. In some ways, it, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, some of those people, I, I, I can't, you know, Davis, for instance, is, is still lauded and revered by everyone. And she's not my favorite actress. I, I don't agree with a lot of people think she's ever, but she died with like less than a million dollars. And that she, I don't think she was controversial to where somebody would have, you know, they would have tried to punish her. I, I don't, I don't know how that happens. And I, I think that, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing is, it, you know, I think it makes it kind of haunting, you know, what does it mean? And then that's why the last chapter, I look at the history of fame and I talk about uh, <clears throat> entertainers that were, uh, stage entertainers that were the celebrities of their day in the 1700s, 1800s that are, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody outside of, even I didn't know most of them, but nobody else, unless they're doing research like I was, has any idea who they were, but they were the, the glory of their time to use the old uh, baseball player. And, uh, and I go all the way up even into the eighties, even in the nineties, when I talk about these people that were pretty big, yeah. somebody like Mia Sarah, you remember her? She was a gorgeous actress that was in a bunch of hit movies in the 80s. She just left. I mean, I don't know. She stopped making movies. Nobody remembers who she is. Today. Mm. I mentioned uh, Veronica Hamill, big star in H- Pill Street Blues. Today, you're, you know, her, uh, you know, her, her, her mention of her name will give you a, a blank stare. And even some of the 90s, I, you know, my daughter loved that show, Lizzie McGuire, that was on in the 90s on the Disney Channel. And I, I look at what happened to the supporting characters that were star- stars on that show and their credits ended. You know, they, they haven't done anything since then. I wonder how many are being forced out and how many just realize the corruption and just don't want to be a part of what's going on, you know? Well, there are some that I think that's the way. But I think that, and, you know, my friend Susan Olson gently reminded that, you know, she was the first one to read the manuscript. And she was the first one. Did you make it seem like, you know, that, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They're a failure if they leave Hollywood and do something else. And I said, well, no, it's just that most people don't understand that most people love that to be a star. And there's so many people out there working as waiters and, you know, working hard to try to, to, to be one. So I think it's hard for people to understand why would you willingly leave? Something like that. And uh, so, but she, she, she's right that some of them left for whatever. They just didn't want to do it anymore. They were tired of it. And maybe they saw the corruption. Some of the child stars, you know, maybe they didn't, they didn't want to be sexually harassed, you know, by the pedophile out there. I mean, there's a lot of things they could have seen, but uh, it's just the ones that, and you see a lot of them that are still trying, hanging around the outskirts that they can't get work. You know, and, uh, Spanky's, uh, Spanky's our gang, uh, cohort uh, Alfalfa is one of those guys. You know, he was he was one that was never really cute, and he had a very brief period where he was okay. But, uh, he, he became really annoying, and in real life, he was super annoying. He was a really bad kid. He used to pee on the cameras and just you know, play. But 
snakes and around. He was he was a country boy, barefoot, and just he he never grew up. And mm. but he got he was a very awkward teenager. And if you you can see him every time my favorite movie, It's a Wonderful Life, comes on, you know he is the kind of ugly looking teenager that is uh, he's the one that uh, is uh, interrupted in his dance with Donna Reed by uh, or talking to Donna Reed by James Stewart. And uh, when he gets jealous of Jimmy Stewart dancing with Donna Reed, so him and the other guy, they, they're the ones that open up the floor, the dance floor, when they're dancing in Charleston, so they fall in the pool, so that's him. And uh, you can see he wasn't attractive, and he would go to audition, but he was still trying to get movies, and he would go to auditions, and it would drive him crazy when they'd say, sing off-key for it, alfalfa <laughs> a kid. And he ended up, you know, typical Hollywood tragedy, he could get no work, and he ended up being shot to death. 30 over uh, 50 bucks or something. Yeah. It's a troubled guy. And there's the Hollywood is filled with those kind of stuff. Yeah. Now uh, I want to look at uh, if you're trying to uh, basically find out who's involved with what in Hollywood and what kind of dirty practices, an easy place to look would probably be the Epstein flight log, right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, for the ones now. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It certainly would. Yeah. yeah. You have, you know, Kevin Spacey and, uh, Tom's, uh what's it? Uh, Hard, I think I, I I don't want to misrepresent anybody, but there's plenty of uh, yeah, there are plenty of actors on there, and uh, sort of yeah, Kevin, you know, for instance, Kevin Spacey has a really bad record. Oh, well, yeah, Hollywood, you know, <laughs> boys, little boys, even those little boys, but um, and so I'm not sure why he was. I guess Epstein provided some boys too. I don't Probably. think Kevin. Sp- I wouldn't doubt. I don't it. think Kevin. Yeah, I don't think Kevin Spacey was interested in Lolita Island. Yeah, yeah, maybe Lolito something, but. Uh, <laughs> He, uh, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, you're right, but that could, that could bring down, and that's why Jelaine Maxwell, you know, it, was, it wasn't able, it's amazing she's alive still, but uh, the fact she never talked, you know, she didn't name names. He could have brought down a lot of people who didn't really do that. And so, uh, you know, because again, in the political world and in the entertainment industry, again, these, these two worlds are all covered all the, all the connections there between. And you see the same kind of behavior and one common thread there that we see, and we're, we're learning more and more in politics, a big child sex trafficking, yeah. aid, all, all the stuff I talked about in history with um, uh, Franklin Credit Scan, all these things. It's been out there for a long time. International sex trafficking is a real thing. These elites have a thing for, for kids. That's their go-to. When they get enough money and power, that's what they want. Most of them, it seems like. And, um, that goes for Hollywood as well. You know, they're, they're clearly everywhere out there. And uh, so it's it, to try to bring them down, you're going to be going up against incredibly powerful forces. because They're some of the biggest names in Hollywood, some of the biggest names in politics. Well, I think that they uh, they're failing in a way, huge way right now because they're trying to normalize this pedophilia and uh, you know being attracted to minors, whatever they want to call it. And I think right. they're going way too fast on this. People are definitely not ready, and it's falling apart in front of them. They're more worried about the woke agendas in Hollywood than actually providing any kind of entertainment, than actually finding people who are entertaining. That includes the actors and people that they're casting 
anything for movies this day. It's just a total shit show lately, but it's all about just, you know, pushing out those agendas, making sure everybody's going to get their shots, wearing their masks, and, you know, having interracial babies that are gay and trans. So, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Well, that's the agenda. And that's, you know, that's part of it. When it goes back to, you know, we're talking about the, the quality of the product. You know, uh, the old, the old time uh, Hollywood, they didn't, uh, if there was propaganda, it was kind of uh, to push virtue or, you know, to, 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 you know, to, to act like, you know, there, there weren't anything is so-called fallen women, you know, that women didn't, didn't peat like that. And that uh, men were virtuous and uh, that kind of thing. So it, it was you know, a more decent form of propaganda, but now all this <laughs> stuff gets away because there's Rachel, there's so much racial agenda with pushing diversity there's so much uh gender stuff with pushing strong women and uh, now you throw the transgender thing in there which contradicts the strong women ironically yeah <laughs> there's and of course then there's the agenda to uh constantly never show <clears throat> the any conspiracies that really are out there you know this conspiracy it's going to be some exclusive white country club that somehow has all this power and, you know, maybe an FBI agent is going to expose them. You know, it's just, and it's Hollywood. Hollywood is living in, they're, they're creating a dream world, but they have a set of values, a set of beliefs that are just uh, contrary to reality. Yeah. Well, where do you, let's end on this. Where do you see uh, Hollywood going? I see it crumbling. Like I said, I don't know what the next step is. I see, of course, they're pushing everybody to go into the metaverse to plug in and just stay the hell online and right. never leave your house anymore. So I don't right. know what, I, I don't think people want to really go in that direction either. People are looking for real entertainment now. They're looking for truth. There's like this awakening going on where people are having this exodus from, you know, Hollywood movies and boring entertainment that doesn't make any sense to actually looking for something with that's real entertainment and has some right. bit of truth to it which i see and i that's why a lot of people are listening to podcasts and talk shows and things of that nature instead of hollywood where do you see this going uh, in the future well i think that if it was a natural progression of things you would see people uh gravitating to podcasts and they ended gravitating to the internet but the pro and they did you know, that's why the internet was, you know, boomed. But yeah. in the last five years or so, you've seen this draconian censorship that started without, yes. you know, deplatforming uh, Alex Jones. They wanted the biggest name in the conspiracy world. And I remember at the time, you know, just, just saying this is horrible. And, and so many people hated Alex Jones. And I, it didn't matter what I thought of Alex Jones. Uh, but I said, it doesn't matter. He's a huge name. And uh, this is this is going to have tremendous ramifications. Oh, the next day, my numbers dropped off. The next day, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're, you know, all when I was, uh, I used to go on SGT Report, which it had. He was getting close to a million subscribers mm. on YouTube when when they canceled him, and uh, uh, Red Pill seventy eight, which has built back his audience a little bit. I, I used to go on there all the time. Sarah Westall, Dustin Nemo's. Uh, these are the biggest platforms I had outside of, you know, I can usually get on coast to coast two times a year. Of course, that's 10 million listeners. So I, nothing could top that for me. But uh, RT television was the only television I could get on. I got on their hands all the time. So now they've canceled them. You know, they're gone. And so this is what they're doing. They started with Alex Jones and then they went after the, uh, the lesser known conspiracy type uh, people in there. They went after even prominent people like Trump. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and all those people, my friend Naomi Wolf, they canceled them all from Twitter uh, and Instagram. So they lost. So this is tremendous. So what happens is that although people want to go 
to the and then eventually they have to they have to come to podcasts like this or, or things and uh, obviously they don't get as much attention they don't get as much publicity and um, as I was talking on Jeff Rents you know I'm on Jeff Rents every Monday night he was a big network and I said many times there you know they're coming for shows like this and uh, they're coming I write on Substack all the time I'm getting a good following over there and they're coming for for platforms like that because they don't want they want to get they want total control and what was great about the internet was uh people don't realize the fcc the power it has over communications so radio and television when they were invented if we were still concerned about the bill of rights because the founding fathers could not possibly have foreseen these inventions the they should have amended the bill of rights and i would never be for that otherwise but they already should have passed some kind of legislation where they just this is this is that the bill of rights protects all future inventions, radio, television, and whatever may come, the internet. And uh, they didn't do that. So the FCC was created and it uh, stifled speech on radio. Uh, you had the, uh, in movies, you had the uh, Hayes Code, which again, that's why the, my favorite movies are still the pre-code talkies before they had, you can see a little nudity back there sometimes. <laughs> they, 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 they had a little, uh, you know, they, they, it was a zippier, you know, better product because they didn't have, and once the Hayes, they still had some great movies, but the Hayes Code forbid certain things. And again, you shouldn't be doing that if it's the First Amendment. Uh, when television came, the FCC ruled that obviously you didn't have nudity or, you know, any, almost anything out the ordinary on television for a long time. Still, the FCC is very involved for radio and television both, but they haven't got their tentacles into the internet yet. Well, <clears throat> I guess they don't need the FCC because the social media giants have shut down uh, debate on their platforms where everybody goes. And they're kind of said, you know, I don't think they're going to stop without coming for the blogs and uh, without coming for podcasts and radio shows eventually so that nothing out there, especially anything that has any kind of an audience. And, uh, so it's, it's very troubling. And so th I would say that that's where we should be going next. Mm -hmm. We should be going this wonderful internet, this wonderful invention, which has so many possibilities, and it should be a count, an alternative to the fake news, the corrupt that we hear from the state-controlled media. And it is to a point, but they have really stifled it now by really the social media giants, especially. That kind of censorship has really uh, disillusioned me, and I, I don't know what's in the future. I I have to think, unless people fight back enough, I I, yeah. I don't think we're going to escape an FCC type of situation on the internet. Well, I think you're exactly right. They're trying to make us China 2.0. They're trying to adopt all yeah. these things. It's like a social yeah. credit system. Social credit system, yes. They don't want anything but the narrative put out there. Um, but I also see a lot of them trying to do it too fast. It seems to me that they're making mistakes. It could just be me being hopeful. Uh, yep, I don't yep. know. Do you think that we have a chance if we do, like you said, you know, we need to rise up. That's the only way we're going to have any type of thing, but we don't have a track record even in the past two years with all this stuff going on, doing much about it. Um, yeah. so, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I used to say that. Like I used to say, you know, they they want they they hate the internet, and they would have gotten rid of it if they could. But I always said, you know, there's always some teenager somewhere that is smarter than them and can circumvent them and go past the servers and everything. And there's so many kids out there, especially that know more than they do, more than their experts do. But I didn't I didn't foresee this this incredible censorship that was going to come down the path as far as Facebook with the fact checkers. And you're right, they have overplayed their hand. I mean, they're you know or 
fact checkers. I mean, that's right out of Orwell. Everything they're doing is out of as Orwellian. But uh, again, it's because of the division in the country. They're allowed. They're they're succeeding because half the country or more is is in it really is uh, is in various stages of lunacy. And it's Trump derangement syndrome. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's believing in the COVID narrative, the greatest psyop in the history of the world. It's waving the Ukrainian flag now. Uh, these people, <laughs> yeah. and I've seen it in my own family. I've been canceled by members of my family. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the, the country is batshit crazy in many ways. And uh, those of us that are awake are more awake than ever. Mm. But uh, we, can't, we can't get to these people. And that's the problem is that if, if they institute the social credits, if they institute China's social credit score, so... You go to try and they have, you know, Elizabeth Warren, very telling. Oh, the bankers, you know, who didn't want to audit the Federal Reserve. Well, she, you know, this fellow of the bankers the other day introduced a proposal for a CDC, a central uh, currency. If they get that, that's when the, 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 it's open. Because if they get that, they're going to tie everything you do to that currency. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to get your, to all the science fiction movies you saw where I'm sorry, it's no good. You're going to everywhere you go, they're going to look and say, well, you know, sorry, you have some problematic tweets out there. <laughs> Clear up, you know, and, and that's that's what it's going to be. And uh, but half of the country that is absolutely insane now is going to cheer it on. Don't look for them to protest. They don't care. I mean, they're back to the people. I remember the old days. Say, well, you know, you got nothing to hide. Why, why you care if someone comes in and searches your house or your car? You know, that's, that's their attitude. What do you got something to hide? You know, and that's that's they depend on that kind of stupidity and subservience. And uh, now, the majority of the country is again is more. They've dug their heels in more than ever. They hate people like us. Absolutely mm-hmm. hate people like us. And I see it in my own family. Like I said, there. Yeah. I hear from. Uh, <clears throat> People every day. It's very gratifying. I, I have people all over the world that love my work and listen to me, and and uh, I hear from them every day. You know how you know I'm a longtime fan and stuff. It takes a long time to get used to that, but they're all strangers. Mm-hmm. I've never heard from anybody. My son is the only person in my large family that's awake. Everyone else ignores everything I do. I don't talk about this stuff in front of them anymore because they don't care. They act like, you know, they don't react to any books being published, any appearances, I make nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what is happening in a lot of places is that, you know, even, you know, I can't, even in my own family and friends and I know I can't influence them. So imagine how hard it's going to be to influence half or more of the country that is just gone on. Yeah, and well, Hollywood and the media has done a great job of indoctrinating and brainwashing everybody. What can I say? Yeah. I mean, it's right. Yeah, in our I can't. Faces. Compete. I can't compete with them. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was fantastic, Don. Um, for for those in the audience that want to get your books, find out more about you. What is the best way for them to do so? Well, I mean, they can find on Bard Fame and the older books. Uh, you know, anywhere Amazon, Bars and Nobles. If you do a search for me, uh, you're going to find more than you want to know. Probably, I'm pushing my Substack writing a lot. Glenn Greenwald, a lot of good people there. It's a free speech platform while it lasts, support it. Uh, I have a pay option there. Lots of people. I have lots of subscribers now. Uh, you can you can read it for free or you can help out if you want. And lots of people have. It's wonderful. And you can find that at donaldjeffries.media. My blog, which goes back years, is donaldjeffries.news. I have two t- uh, radio shows. The Donald Jeffrey Show airs Wednesdays on Ocelli.com. And later the Rents Network uh, repeats it. And it's on a lot of places. Uh, right. I, pr- I protest is every Friday and it live streams over my social media, although YouTube is uh, 
on the Virgin D platform. They give me a couple of strikes over medical misinformation. So uh, <laughs> right now I'm not streaming there. So, <laughs> but it, you can still find it on Rockfin, uh, which is a nice platform. Oh, great! You're on Rockfin too. Awesome. All right, wonderful, Don. Well, the, this was fantastic. It is definitely a mad, mad, mad world, and we'll be talking again sometime <laughs> in the future. I hope. Oh, I hope so. Thanks anytime. Thanks for having me on. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow.